Hello, this is Father Mike Walker of Father Mike's Podcast, Father Mike's Bible Study Podcast, and the Catholic Combine, the pastor of St. Cecilia Catholic Church in Beaverton, Oregon. If you would like more information about the parish or the podcast, please feel free to email me at frmikewalker at gmail.com. And now, today's podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard this objection to Christianity, but I remember hearing it when I was in high school and then heard it probably a, quite a few more times in college. And it goes something like this, that you Christians wanted a God, so you just created one. Has anyone else ever heard something like that? Freud. Freud. Well, okay, if you want to go back farther, but I wasn't alive when Freud was around. So, But anyway, it's kind of a common accusation, I suppose. But I remember the first time I heard it that I thought that it was a, a little comical because if I wanted to create a God, I don't think I would have created a God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who would hold me accountable, that would tell me that I have to live a certain way and that, that I have to trust in Him in order to have salvation. I mean, it's just, I don't think I would create that kind of God. You know, but the reason later on that I found that it's a little ironic that that accusation goes out is because it's actually just the opposite. That both Judaism and Christianity are what we call revealed religions. And so what that means is that it's a religion that wasn't created, but it was a, re a religion that was revealed and accepted. And so this is a major difference. For example, in the Greek and Roman era, many of you know the Greek and Roman myths, and you know that the Greeks and the Romans worshipped many different gods. Um, what you may not know is the way that that worship happened and the mentality that people had was a little different than most people would, would imagine. Uh, for example, they just imagined that there were these gods that lived out in a different realm, and these gods really had nothing to do with human beings. Uh, the only time that they ever went into the human world was kind of on a whim. You know, they, they didn't do it out of love, and they didn't do it out of any uh, real connection or communion. Um, they didn't do it out of any kind of relationship with human beings. It was just mostly on a whim, and for that reason, when people would do prayers and they would do different sacrifices, what they were trying to do is they were trying to get the attention of these various gods so they might get a favor. And so in, in this style of worship and this kind of religion, the understanding was is that the, the gods are out there somewhere, and the gods don't really want anything to do with us, so the best we can do is try to get their attention, and maybe we'll get lucky and get a favor. You know, so that's kind of the standard pagan practice. And, and really, in many religions that, that have a similar understanding, you know, that would be the case. Now, there's also a different kind of religion, and it's the, the religion, I think, that is most common today, and it's, it's kind of the religion of self-worship. And so what that is, is it says that whatever I want is, is the all-important thing, uh, that I create my own reality, uh, my absolute freedom is, is what I'm after, and so I have recreated reality to be able to conform to what I think is true, what I think is real, and what I think is most important. And I rearrange my life according to the standard. You know, so that would be what we call like the religion of self or the worship of self. Now, 
Christianity and Judaism is different than that because what we are talking about is a reality that is based not in ourselves but in something greater, the creator of all things, God himself. And the reason why we know anything about God is because he chose to reveal who he is and what he expects of us and how we can be in relationship with him so that we can know what is true and what is good. So Christianity and Judaism and revealed religion in general uh, takes a totally different approach than I am going to create God in my own image. It's rather the opposite of that. It's about allowing ourselves by being humble uh, to look outside of ourselves to something greater than ourselves and to accept what is good and what is true on the authority that comes from God himself. All right, so you can kind of see that that's different. Well, now the follow-up question is, well, how do we know that what we are receiving is actually from God? You know, how do we know that we're not just imagining it? Well, there's something else that's unique about the Jewish Christian faith, and that is that it's something that wasn't revealed all at once, but it was something that was revealed over time. In the theological world, we call this salvation history, that beginning from Adam and Eve and the first sin, that God was continually revealing himself to the people over time until the fullness of time, like Galatians 4.4 mentions, the fullness of time when Jesus comes. Um, but up to that time, God, in stages, revealed himself to his people. And he started with a particular group of people, the Hebrews or the Israelites or the Jews, and he revealed himself very fully uh, to Moses, and he gave him his name. Uh, in, in Mount Sinai, when Moses asked for his name and he revealed his name, so in the ancient world, to reveal someone's name is to reveal something about uh, someone's person, their essence, uh, their substance, who they really are. And so when God reveals his name as I am who am, you know, the, the, the word Yahweh comes from that, um, this is God giving himself in relationship to Moses and the people by revealing his name, and then later he reveals the law. Uh, not only a code of ethics, but a way to live where they would be the light of the world and they would be the ones to help other countries to know what is true and what is good as well. So they have a vocation uh, to live that out. Now, later on, of course, the prophets filled in some of those gaps with their moral teaching and with the expectations that God has. Uh, but as I mentioned, also in the beginning of Mark's gospel in Galatians 4, chapter 4, there's this understanding that in the fullness of time, God sends his son. And his son, because he becomes incarnate, he becomes one of us, he can reveal the true nature of God in a way that could never have been done before. Because now God is able to live among the people, he's able to teach the people as a human being, and it's through his death and resurrection and the sending of the Spirit that we have the fullness of revelation that nothing more is required for us to know the reality of God himself, that that has been revealed through Jesus in his incarnation and his life and his death, his resurrection and sending of the Spirit. Okay, does that all make sense? All right, I had to kind of set the groundwork first, though, because then, of course, well, what do we believe as Christians? You know, because we talk about it, you know, we say, well, I believe in God, one God, right? We all believe in one God, but then we believe one God in three persons, like the very beginning of Mass, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know, so we have three persons, one God. 
And we believe that because Jesus revealed it. He revealed that he is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, and there's one God. And so to a certain extent, uh, we have to take that on faith because it goes beyond our experience. Um, it is not, it is not uh, contradictory, but it is beyond our experience. It's a bit of a paradox. Um, but also, at the same time, there are many different images and explanations for how this is possible. But the basic understanding is the substance or the essence of who God is, is God. And then who God, what God is, is God. And who God is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have one what and three who's. Um, but there was a time when I was teaching this First Communion class. And, uh, and so I asked this one particular girl, so I said, is Jesus God? And she said, yes, Jesus is God. And I said, oh, is the, the Father God? She says, yes, the Father's God. And I said, is the Holy Spirit God? She goes, yes, the Holy Spirit's God. I said, so how many gods are there? She says, one God. I'm like, how's that possible? And she said, well, it's like, it's like my shampoo. <laughs> so now I'm curious, right? <laughs> okay, what do you, why, how is it like your shampoo? She goes, well, because my shampoos, shampoo and conditioner in one, and so God's like that, but he's three in one. So I, okay, you pass. Uh, no more questions, you know. So, but this is what we believe, you know, one God, three persons. And we believe that, as I mentioned, because God has revealed it through Jesus Christ. But there's something more about this belief of Trinity that is more than just a mathematical formula. Um, that C.S. Lewis was talking about it at one point, and he says, that the Trinity is just strange enough to be believable. In other words, if we were going to create our own God, well, we wouldn't have said, well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to create one God in three persons. You know, it's like that's just strange enough to be believable, meaning it's not something we would create in our own minds. In addition to that, uh, C.S. Lewis starts talking about the consequences of the Trinity. And one of the consequences he mentions is that we all talk about God being love. You know, God is love, but God can only be love if he is loving, that, that you need two people at least in order for love to be exchanged, and if that's the case, then before creation, in order for God to be love, he needs to love, and that would only be possible if the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son. In other words, this this relationship within God himself is a loving relationship. And so he says we can say that God is love even before creation, because, not just because he loves us, but because his very nature is, is grounded in love, you know, that he is a super relationship. It's also a consequence of that that we're here. Because Aristotle, when he was talking about God, he came to understand that there needs to be one God, and he came to this understanding just by philosophy alone. He didn't know, uh, you know, Jewish religion or anything like that. He was Greek. Uh, but through philosophy, he came to the understanding that there is one God. But in his version of that one God, God was totally removed from creation, and he was, he was reflecting on himself. He's the unmoved mover who reflects on himself. Well, that's very different than the Christian and Jewish understanding of the God of love and the God who wants to be in relationship. And actually, 
if God himself is love, it's a consequence of his love that that spills over or pours out and becomes something that causes creation. That the reason why we are here is because God's love came to be expressed in our creation. And he wants us to be in relationship with him because God is love. It's one of those things that, that we don't often think about. You know, that we are here as a consequence of the very nature of God himself. You know, that, that we have God to thank in his essence and his being. Now, uh, another thing that, that uh, is reflected in the understanding of the Trinity is that uh, John Paul II, who, when you ever read his philosophy and his theology, it's kind of dense stuff. It's kind of hard to understand. But, but one of the things that, that he was saying is that we, because of the Trinity, we are challenged by it. And he said, we, because of the Trinity, that we are caught up in it, that we are involved in it. Because if God's in relationship with us, then that means we are challenged and we are in relationship with God by God's very nature. And so he says that it elicits a response. And so how do we respond? How is it possible that we just don't say, oh, God, there he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit up there somewhere. You know, how is it that we can be involved and challenged? Well, the first thing we can do is we can pray as Trinitarian people. So I know that people typically have their favorites of the Trinity. You know, like some people pray to Jesus more, some pray to the Father more, some pray to the Son more. Um, but uh, regardless of, of that, try to keep the understanding that whoever we pray to, if we pray to God, that we're praying to the Trinity. If we're praying to the Son, we're not excluding the Father and the Holy Spirit. If we pray to the Holy Spirit, we're not excluding the Son or the Father. You know, so we try to maintain that in our prayer. And the worship that we have at Mass, so for example, when we get to the uh, great Amen, and when I'm lifting up the host, I say, through him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, so I'm saying through Jesus, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. So it's to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we can, we can see that being reflected in the way that we worship. And so be looking for those signs about how we worship as a Trinitarian people. Now the last thing I'll just offer is try to live your life according to the standard according to the revealed God who is Trinitarian in nature. To the real, revealed God means that we don't create our own reality, we don't create our own truth, we don't create our own God. If you want to know who God is, let him reveal it to you. We have the scripture, we have the church teaching, we have our prayer and our experience, but it's humble receiving which will give you the insight to know the nature of God and what he asks of us and how he wants to be in relationship with us. And so maybe reverse our narcissistic culture to the, stent, to the extent that we're going to actually be humble receivers of God's truth and what is good and what he calls us to, our vocation. And then the last one is, look at your own relationships. Um, if you're getting married, if you're married, if you're single, if you're too young to even think about any of this stuff, you know, just kind of think, what does God call us to in relationship? Well, he calls us to be life-giving. He calls us to be loving. He calls us to be in relationship, not isolated units. So there's a lot that we can, we can gain when it comes to how to live just by reflecting on the Trinity and how God himself lives amongst himself. And so anyway, I know this is kind of a little more dense and maybe a little more theological than you're used to, but 
Um, sometimes I think we get these feasts like the Trinity, and we go, well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, and we don't really give it a lot of thought. So anyway, hopefully this week we've got a, a few bones to, uh, to kind of pick at and, and maybe kind of think about how we can apply these sort of things because we've been given such a great gift that God has revealed himself to us. We don't want to take that for granted. So in other words, look for ways that we can pray according to that standard and also live according to that standard. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. May God bless you and be with you as you live out your faith and serve the Lord this week.